Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry sky and see your hand in time and mind to lead me through the night. And that person not from here begins loudly listing all the evils of the city of Everett. And after declaring our city's woes for a few moments, the speech turns into coming judgment. That unless Everett, the people of this city, change completely, unless we end our evil and violence in 40 days, Everett will be divinely destroyed. Now, knowing the various characters that roam our streets here, such a rant isn't too hard to imagine. But this time it's different. This time... During that outsider's speech on the steps of City Hall, Mayor Cassie Franklin is on her way into the building and she begins to pay close attention to the speaker. And after the threat of destruction, the Everett police obviously tackle the visitor and search him for weapons and there's some Q&A between the officers and the person and they determine he's not a physical threat and they let him go. But... Once the tirade is finished and all that he said, Mayor Franklin is visibly shaken by the words, and she calls for the entire city of Everett to fast and pray. And she makes an announcement via every public outlet, I am demanding that every citizen in Everett stop the evil and stop the violence immediately and completely. And then the city does, just as she declares. All evil, all violence ends. Furthermore, then the eternal judge changes his mind and decides not to destroy Everett as previously warned through the out-of-town speaker. Imagine that. And after this happens, what would our city think of the speaker who shouted for change on the steps of Everett City Hall? No doubt folks would begin to realize pretty quick, no evil, no violence, things are better around here. Even if they didn't believe in the impending judgment, the improvement of our city and society and surroundings, folks would think, man, I'm glad that guy came to town. And then those who indeed are believers and don't want the judgment of God, they believe in the judgment of God, what would we think of that messenger? We would say, well, thank God, if it weren't for that messenger, we'd all be toast destroyed, no longer in existence. Thank God for that messenger. What about believers? You know, I think about that as a minister, as a public speaker. I don't know anybody who's given one message and the entire audience repented. Let alone an entire audience of more than 100,000. As somebody who is attempting to be a servant of God and in the service of God, I think about that speaker and I'm thinking, yeah, man, that's some kind of God performance right there. I just like for people to stay awake the whole time I'm talking. 100,000 people convert and change on one message on one afternoon on the city steps of, of City Hall. Man, that's an incredible, incredible endeavor. We would think this guy, whether religiously or because of the outcome or because we weren't destroyed, this guy's a hero. But then imagine if you could take it farther. A few days after the change in the city, Somebody's searching to try to find this gentleman. Somebody's trying to figure out who it is, and they find a picture and a post on the Internet. It's been posted after the first speech on the city steps. 
And in this new post, we read some things that the unusual out-of-town messenger shares, and quite frankly, they're nasty. They're nationalistic, judgmental words. In fact, the man posts about his resentment that the judge did not destroy the pagans of Everett. In fact, his words are vile, and the same speaker who stood on the steps of City Hall now reveals our nation is superior to Everett's people, so much so that he makes it clear, I wish that every person in Everett would have died instead. Now, now what do we think of the messenger? Is he a savior or is he a terrorist? Right? Do we believe the new nationalist post that the man posts? Is that legitimate and worth believing? Because earlier in the week he spoke some things that changed people's lives. Or do we say, you know what, now that I know that he feels this way and he's such a strong nationalist and he wanted us dead, maybe it wasn't God speaking through him when he gave that call to change. Do we use one action to validate the other or one action to invalidate the other? Or is it possible that from the same man he is used of God on the city steps and then still way ungodly and off base in his online post. Could both be true from the same man a few days later? Of course, you geniuses in the audience, of which all of you are very sharp, you know exactly the comparison I'm making. The city of Everett is roughly the size of the ancient city of Nineveh. And my fictional messenger would align with Jonah. And Jonah went into the city, into a prominent place, and he declared judgment. And the leader of that city called for fasting and prayer and immediate stoppage. And they did stop. They did quit. They did change. But then Jonah gets ticked at God. He leaves the city, he goes, sits down, and Jonah chapter 3 and verse number 10, here's, it explains this and into chapter 4. When God saw what they had done, it's talking about Nineveh, how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4 and verse 1, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry. He complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful, compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Verse 3, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. What did he predict? The destruction. If you're not going to destroy these people, I'd rather be dead. The Lord replies, is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah doesn't even answer. He walks away, turns his back on God and walks away. I'm leaving the city. Heads out, makes himself a little camp outside the city. Nineveh's an Assyrian city. I talked about that earlier in the city. That's a kind of people, a nation of people that are the primary enemies of Jonah's Israelite people. An earlier prophet by the man, name of Nahum had prophesied Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Jonah probably knew about that prophecy. Jonah's like, great, I'm going to go tell them the fireworks are coming. Our enemy, these people, our problem done away with. Jonah would have been happier if the city was destroyed and the people were dead and gone. Listen to me, this is true. That's the very same messenger that God used. God taps this guy on the shoulder and eventually he goes into the city and says, everybody needs to change. God spoke through that man. 
And the same man says, I regret the message, I regret the repentance, I wish all of those folks, what I prophesied, destruction, I wish that is what would have happened. He's so angry with God, he wished 120,000 people, God's creation, would have been better off dead. You close the book, Jonah still is not taking on God's character and God's understanding. Because we have the book of Jonah, I believe he eventually got right with God. Somebody told that story with all its details. But listen, there's no record of Jonah getting right and being used again of God. He didn't surrender sufficiently to the character God wanted to develop in him. And so these questions come to my mind from Jonah today. Can we explain somehow the opposing actions and attitudes in this man? Can we explain how those two opposing things exist? And I think more important to me, better yet, how do we avoid becoming like Jonah? Now, if you haven't picked up on it already, I'm down front today. I'm in teaching mode. Going to be a lot of scriptures you got pen and paper, awesome. You're going to want to take some notes. You're not a pen and paper person. Turn on your devices. If you're going to check the Internet, at least tell me the basketball scores. All right? Take notes. Figure out, follow, review this later. In Jonah, God used an imperfect person to accomplish his purpose. And let me say this really clear. And God is still doing that. If I'm going to believe this book, if I'm going to believe this book, then there was only ever and ever will be one perfect, sinless, holy and pure person, Jesus Christ. Everybody before that, every human after that, imperfect, not entirely righteous. So God uses imperfect people because none of us are wholly righteous. So do we excuse and embrace our faults? Well, nobody's perfect, so I just keep adding to the mess. No, the Apostle Paul said, God forbid. That's not the way we respond to those things. That's not how we come. Instead, the Apostle Paul helps us to recognize that discipleship or following Christ is a lifelong process of discovering the character of God and seeing it realized in our lives through the Holy Spirit. In simple terms, you know what? When I find God, God finds me. I obtain his forgiveness through repentance and baptism. I'm empowered by his spirit. God doesn't say, fine, you're good. I punched your ticket. Now I'm going to leave you alone. Just keep doing what you've always been doing, acting like you've always been acting. That's not the way it works. If that were the case, most of the New Testament would be worthless to us. But instead, the Lord said, you know what? In this book, I want you to discover who I am, what I'm about, what I believe in, what my character is. And little by little, by the spirit I've given you, I want that to start happening in your life. That's God's plan. That's God's design. That's the way he makes it to happen. Therefore, just as God can use a faulty Jonah, he uses faulty people today because we are all works in progress look look around at a few people around you right now just kind of look around go turn the other way some of you aren't turning come on now pay attention to the preacher behave yourself look around a little bit you, you know what we just all looked at imperfect people works in progress works in progress can we explain Jonah's opposing attitude and action? How, how do we avoid becoming like Jonah? First of all, let me offer this. When you and I witness God using someone else to serve or someone else to minister, how are we going to know if God performers, if you will, have accurate beliefs? 
So I see somebody like Jonah used to see a whole city converted, and then he gets into this hating people and wanting them dead business. How do I know which is true? How do I know what to believe? Because the guy was really used of God. Here we go. Write this one down. Jonah teaches us this. God performances don't justify ungodly ideas, attitudes, or actions. A God performance doesn't equate to godly character. That's what we learn about Jonah. And listen, if it did, then God would have quit messing with Jonah once Nineveh repented. Because God got done what he wanted done. But God said, no, Jonah, you got some character issues that need to be worked on. You got some things that need to be tweaked and changed. And so there's going to be some more engagement. Jonah's beliefs were wrong before God used him. And we find in the book of Jonah that Jonah's beliefs were wrong after God used him. So God performance doesn't dictate godly character. Instead... Even though we see God use someone in a wonderful way, we got to always remember that God ideas and God attitudes and God actions and God character are all defined right here in this book, available to each and every one of us. It's here so that we can discover who and what God is. Paul made it clear like this in Galatians 1.8. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. The Apostle Paul, he wrote half of the New Testament. He started so so many churches, he saw people converted, and he says this about himself. Now listen, folks, if I change my tune, I've been used of God, God has been a messenger through me, but if I change what I'm teaching and preaching, and if I start doing something crazy like Jonah saying, destroy all people, you better look to the word. Paul said that. Don't believe me. Look to the word. Check out the scripture. You know what? That needs to be our attitude and our understanding and our demeanor. If in some way, in some extent, God allowed me to be used of his spirit last week's service and somebody's life and heart was changed and ministered to, to God be the glory. But if I go off on some crazy rant today that is outside the scripture, don't follow me. If the Apostle Paul could say that, I ought to be able to say that. And I ought to be able to recognize and witness and appreciate and understand what that happens in other people. We know the truth. God's word supersedes or is higher than any messenger. What's the word of God say? This truth helps us avoid Jonah's worst case scenario. The next thing for any of us, and I just mentioned ministry and service, if you're here and you desire to be used of God, that you hear about Jonah and you know what, God talked to him about doing something for his purpose. I'd like to be used of God. Or you already have been in service and ministered and helped people. Here's what we learn from Jonah. Being used by God can blind us to our own faults. That's a a dangerous reality. Being used by God can blind us to our own faults, even when they're huge faults. Because, as I said earlier, God performance doesn't equate to godly character. Jonah didn't see himself as imperfect or broken. Jonah was blind to his real self. How do you know that, preacher? Because he argued with God. God himself said, really, man, you're going to be mad about this? Yeah! And he walks away. What? Everybody with me? If that's not a picture of arrogance, I don't know what it is. He can't see. He is blind to his own faults. Last week, we spoke about the hazards of comparing ourselves to others. Comparing to others is dangerous because it causes a couple of things. It can cause me to think too much of myself, but it can also cause me to think too little of myself. 
And neither of those things are what God designs for us. As we discovered last week, our value is not humanly defined. That's a dangerous, dangerous value. Our value is from God. We are his creation. That is the powerful truth. But Jonah was worse off than those who compare with others, and here's why. Because in order to compare with others, if I'm going to take a look at Krishna and I'm going to start comparing myself to him, I can't compare myself to him unless I know myself. I can't compare my eye color to Krishna's eye color unless I know my own eye color, right? I can't compare my bank account to Krishna's bank account unless I know my bank balance. Now, here's what's so wrong with Jonah. Jonah can't compare himself to the Ninevites because he's completely unaware of himself. He is blind to his own errors and his own destructive habits. He is arguing with God with authority, if you will. It's like, I know what I'm talking. God needs to straighten this out. He's blind to his own errors. You read through there and you find that he's a prophet, yes. He's used of God, yes. God sent him on a mission, yes. But Jonah is self-absorbed, he's bigoted, he's foolish, and near every opportunity, and it doesn't seem like he's aware of it at all. He is blind to his real self. We might explain Jonah's error like this. You know what God's in the business of doing? Fixing other people. Because I'm good. Jonah's in the business of repairing all these other folks who really need God. Noah, God's in the business of fixing you, pal, because I'm good. Where's my wife? Sweetheart, God's in the business of fixing you, because I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Jonah got into his mindset that God is about fixing other people. Now, listen, this isn't just a Jonah thing. Oddly enough, Jesus noticed the same problem. Jonah saw God's word as one-dimensional, as going outward. But look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 31. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Boy, Jesus doesn't play, does he? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, Jesus noticed this human ability to overlook our own challenges, even when they're significant. And it was beyond Jonah to consider he might be the one that God was working on. In fact, it doesn't seem he's even aware of that. God asked him, are you sure you should be mad about this? And Jonah walks away. He was blind to his true self. So what about us? How can we avoid Jonah's worst-case scenario. Romans chapter 7 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul, and you're going to hear a bit about him this afternoon. He writes this, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Now, because of the battle, check it out, verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. And then he questions, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
So you see how it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Listen, the most prolific New Testament writer, most successful evangelist and church planner of his time, this man sees and confesses his own struggle. This is what I'm offering this afternoon. How could that guy who was so God-used be able to see the sticks in his own eyes? That's what I want to know. How could he know that? How could he see that? What brought that to his attention? Even though he's been God-used and God-performed, if you will, in an incredible way, he didn't fall like Jonah did. He was able to recognize, I still got some things that need working on. First of all, we got to know, and from that passage, Jesus Christ is our Lord. Only through Christ can our faults be addressed. He is the cure. I I mentioned it a bit when I started here about that song. When we begin to acknowledge God, when we begin to say how holy he is and how wonderful he is, there is something about that that brings us into right perspective. But more than this, if you and I are going to follow Christ, here's what we have to recognize and always know. We are still humans. Every one of us. Finding salvation filled with his spirit does not remove our humanity. That's what Paul is saying. The reason he can still tell when he's got something in his eyes spiritually is because he recognizes my humanity hasn't left me. I am still as human as the next person that does or doesn't know God. Humanity remains with me. And so when we recognize that, we can make mistakes. We do still make mistakes. And when we recognize and put ourselves in that place, we can then go forward. And if Paul realized it and it kept him humble before God, then you and I have got to do the same. We have got to recognize, thank God, I have been known of his spirit and power, yet there is a knowledge in me that says I'm still a frail human. It was Isaiah who said this in Isaiah 64, 6, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Like the autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Unfortunately, in the portion of Jonah's life that we read about in the book of the Bible, those words weren't in Jonah's vocabulary. I submit they should be in ours. It needs to be a healthy understanding. I am still a human. You know, would you bow your heads? I'm going to pray. If the words I say seem to be fitting to you, perhaps mold them into your own language of prayer. Lord Jesus, I don't ever want to get like Jonah. Never, Lord, do I want to get to the place where I am argumentative and denial, Lord, of your words and direction to me. If your apostle Paul, Lord, could recognize the frail humanity that was still part of his victorious living, his work for you. I pray, Lord, that you would always help me know and remember that I can and do make mistakes. Lord, if I could request it, remind me of my frailness in private. I'd rather not become a public fool. But Lord, even if I have to be a fool publicly, I'd rather be right with you. 
I'd rather know, Lord, that when your voice spoke to me, either audibly or impressed me in prayer or through the clarity of your word, I would rather know, Lord, that I wouldn't deny it, I wouldn't reject it, I wouldn't push you away. But instead, I would receive it and hear it and recognize you're, you're pointing out some wood in my spiritual eyes for my own benefit. I pray, Lord, that you would help me with a healthy dose, a reminder, as Paul acknowledged, of our humanity, of our humanity. If you feel that way, would you say in Jesus' name? <laughs> you know, Jonah, he wanted those Ninevites gone. Get rid of them. Obliterate them. Eliminate them. Because if Nineveh was gone, then he would no longer have to deal with the Ninevites. If Nineveh was gone, he wouldn't have no more problems with them. His problems would be solved, though at the expense of their souls. Jonah was so upset with God, he leaves the city, he goes by himself to wait. And by his own choice, he separates himself from the city He's purposefully alone, and then he gets miserable sitting there. Here, here's what I, I just can't fathom. How does a guy hate people enough that he wants them all dead? Not just any guy, but a prophet who had been recently used by God. Boy, if I could make it really plain... How does somebody proclaiming truth at the same time hope that they deny it? Whew. How do you get to that place? That's what Jonah did. Maybe, maybe Jonah, maybe he believed that God was supposed to make his life easy. Maybe Jonah's conviction was this, you know, God's primary purpose in life is to remove all of my problems. God, your job is to make my life easy. You know, and I, I wonder, why, why is uncomfortable such a problem? Why is stress such an issue? That's an American thing. That's a Western world thing. We don't think we should be under any stress. We should never be uncomfortable. Because we should have everything our way. Burger King has been telling us for years. Everything should be easy. Maybe Jonah was ahead of his time and had a little U.S. soil in him. Maybe he had that understanding. You know what? Everything needs to be easy for me. But you know what? Easy isn't a biblical value. Jesus didn't promise easy here on earth. In heaven, yes. On earth, no. In fact, Jesus was very clear. He said, tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus. Well, I don't see that on people's walls, you know, nice framed pictures. Huh? How about this one? Jesus said, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. I don't see anybody standing up wanting to worship God now. We want to talk about him being holy and mighty and righteous and I'm an overcomer. woo -hoo! Bring on the goosebumps. But Jesus said, 
you will have many trials and sorrows. It's part of the package. And yet, as Paul described, we got this humanity thing battling in us against the scripture thing. I, I hear what Jesus says, but there's an American still living here. There's a Westerner, there's a developed nations person who says, you know what, things ought to be easy for me. And God ought to be like a genie in a bottle. When I need him, I'll rub the bottle, he'll fix stuff. That's, that still dwells within me. Paul said it battles and goes one against another. And you know what? If I'm like that and I think everything should be easy, hear me now, I'm really going to get in our business. And I could be like Jonah and say, you know what my problem is? Those people over there. You know what God needs to take care of? People. You know why? Us people are a pain. Don't, don't look at me like you've never thought that. Come on, now it's a house of God. Don't come off on me. Like, just, people are a pain. People are a hassle. People are trouble. Now, you know what? Maybe in this room, I hope not, we won't fall completely like Jonah and want them all to be destroyed and wiped out. But we might do the great Pacific Northwest thing and leave everybody and go off in a hut by ourselves outside the city. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm going camping to get away from all the... I told you I was going to mess with doctrine. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's what we do. You know why we do that? Because people are a hassle. My wife was in conversation with a friend this week and doesn't know the Lord or like we do or follow God. And they were, she was making, my wife was making an observation about a young couple that doesn't have any friends. It doesn't go out. They don't visit. Somebody they both knew, nobody from this church. And it's just him and her, and they don't have any fun. They don't have any friends. They don't go out and about. And the person said to my wife, yeah, it's not such a bad thing. Why? Because people are a hassle. Because people can be ornery to deal with. Not or just people make us uncomfortable, but... Clearly, talking about people makes us uncomfortable. How can we avoid Jonah's people issues? First, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Show us a couple of things here, and then we're going to talk to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, Paul again writes, Either way, Christ's Love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old self. He died for everyone so that those that receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, we will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Look at verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We come to realize something about God, that Christ's love, when I begin to follow Jesus Christ, I recognize his love is what's in control, not my attitude, not my thinking of problems and ease and hassles, but Christ's love is what ought to control. And I realize he died for everyone. And I, I recognize even though somebody may really be rubbing me wrong, Christ died for them, same as me. That, that, that's the deal. 
And that he loves every one of us, regardless of how much we irritate one another. And then it changes. And instead of me saying, you know what, I can't stand it when people have this habit, fill in the blanks. And then Evan has that habit, and I'm like, yeah, won't be hanging with Evan. Because he has a human habit that irritates my human spirit. But the love of Christ says, bless his heart, God loves him anyway. And then the reality of the love of Christ says, hey, Miller, you got some really ridiculous habits yourself, pal. And there's many people putting up with you because of the love of Christ. I'm reading you the words of the scripture and of Jesus, and they're not easy. I get it. But that's where it's at. When I, when I follow after the love of Christ and I enter into being a disciple, a follower of him, I don't evaluate people the same way I used to. I don't go down this list of human measuring up things and try to evaluate who, what, when, where, why, and how. That doesn't, it doesn't work that way anyway. Changes. Now look at Colossians 3 and verse number 8. Here's the next step. So I'm not evaluating others from a human point of view. That's step number one. Next step. Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious, being mean and nasty, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. You have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Instead, he says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Look at verse number 11, just in case we didn't get it in the Corinthians, let's get it from Colossians. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Jonah was saying, I'm a Jew, and the Nineveh is full of Gentiles, and they need to be destroyed. Jesus was saying in his word, you got to love everybody. And Paul told the Colossians, it don't work that way anymore. If Christ died for every human being, then he loves every one of us the same. It doesn't work that way anymore. We've renewed by learning Christ, all right? I'm going way long, but I'm feeling good. Here we go. So that's by the word of God. I learn his word right here in his word. Right here in his word. What, what is God like? Right here, find out. I want to know how God would act. Right here, find out. What is the character of God? Right here, find out, discover that. This is how we begin. We put off that old stuff and we start putting on this stuff. The more I learn about God and become. Everyone say become. Verse 10 said, and become like him. That's what's supposed to be happening over time. His character, as described in his word, starts being lived out in our lives by the Holy Spirit. By the word. The more godly we become, the old things pass away. And then what happens? Verse 12 since God chose you to be a holy people, he loves, clothe, yourself, clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Verse 13, Paul just is really, he's hitting with both hands. You know, he's in a cage fight. Verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults. Man. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 
talks about love and other stuff going there. As we're renewed, we adopt Christ's character. And as we do that, the old problems are left behind. They're eliminated eventually. We take on God's character. We see people as he sees people, his children, the creation he loves. And if God loves them, then I'm going to do the same. And as I take on God's character... Hear me now. Wait a minute. Thank you for the clap. Let me define. As I take on God's character, it means I love one another. That is not a gushy, break a heart sent feeling on your, on your phone. Oh, I love you. It's not biblical love. Biblical love, he, he defines some of it here, but this is enough to get our understanding. When I have biblical love, it means I am merciful. It means I'm kind. It reflects a humility. I've yet to meet the person who confessed, you know what, I am really proud. Most of us believe we're humble. Does God believe we're humble? That's the deal. Gentleness. Gentleness. Patience. My love will be shown through forgiveness as he forgave me. Man, it is tough being a disciple, right? Well, I like the goosebumps, though, you know? Turn back, get the worship team back up here. We need to have some more goosebumps going on. That's what I like. Let's just have some rhythm. I like the rhythm that goes on there. I like to hear all the parts and the voices. And Preacher, it's better if you yell things that I don't completely understand, but I like clapping when everyone else claps. Let's go back to that stuff. Let me share one more passage, and then we're going to pray. This all sounds like a great idea, but how do we practice it? Jesus, Matthew chapter 5. Let's end with Jesus, and we'll call it a day. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. There's Jonah's words right there. That's Jonah's plan. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. He gives his sunlight to both evil and good, sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Verse 46, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, Jesus, I mean, it's just so plain. If you're kind only to your friends, well, me and so-and-so, we're just close. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But if you're going to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. How in the world could we do that? Well, here's how. Pray for those who persecute you. Hmm. You know, in the past week or the past month, Who's been your enemy? Who, who's been your enemy? Well, preacher, come on now. I, I've been serving God. I've been following him for a while. I, I don't have enemies. Awesome. So who have you been mad at? Who have you been angry with? Who's disappointed you? Who's hurt you? I wonder whose little eye splinter really has had your attention lately. Whose face, whose actions, whose words keep coming to your mind and it's not in a good way.
How about if I get to real life? So when you got in the car today, driving to the house of God, did you think, I hope I don't bump into so-and-so? I'd rather not talk to him or to her. We avoid ending up like Jonah when we listen to Jesus who said, pray for those who persecute you. Maybe not enemies, but we should pray for the people that have let us down or left us out or made us mad. Once again, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And again, if, if what I say seems to be fitting to your thoughts, please mold those words into your own prayer and your own conversation with God. Lord, forgive me for seeing anybody as unworthy. Forgive me, Lord, for closing them out and leaving them behind. Remind me, Lord, newly and freshly and regularly that you love this person as you love me. Help me, Lord, to see this man or this woman, this young person, this child, this elder. Let me to see them, Lord, as your child. Forgive me for my anger toward them. Forgive me, Lord, for any behavior that they think was mean. Forgive me, Lord, for words that they would think hurt or tore them down. Forgive me, Lord, if I have lied to or about this person. Forgive me, Lord, if I have lied by only telling their negative things or if I've lied by only telling my positive things. Lord, remind me that you love this person as you love me. Let me see each one, this one, Lord, the, the name in my mind, the face in my mind. Let me see them, Lord, as your child. Lord, direct me to mercy and kindness toward this one. Lord, move me to humility, Lord, as you would view humility. Lord, cause within me, Lord, a gentleness and a patience toward this person or that person. Lord, move me to forgiveness and a restored relationship, Lord, with your child, with your creation. Lord, move in me and on me, oh God, I do not want to become Jonah. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. And the Holy Ghost, you give me peace.